You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rewilding Earth podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Krista Valentino co-founded Coalition Wild in 2013 after an invitation from the Wild Foundation to address the lack of support and visibility available to younger generations in the environmental sector. She continues to lobby for a stronger integration of youth voices and empowerment in organizational and business decision-making, and has achieved this through recently co-publishing Intergenerational Leadership Toolkit for Conservation and leading multiple projects that accelerate further initiatives around the world being led by young people for nature. Krista is the North American focal point for the World Commission on Protected Areas Young Professionals, was named Wyoming's Top 40 Under 40, and is on the executive committee for the 11th World Wilderness Congress. Krista, thank you so much for being on Rewilding Earth today. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about Coalition Wild and how it all fits with everything. I see uh, it's coalition-based, right? So I see Wild Foundation and Nature Needs Half, and we belong to um, Nature Needs Half Coalition, and I suppose then by by association we belong to Coalition Wild in some way, but tell us how all this stuff works. Um, you're the founder of Coalition Wild, so I'd like to hear a little bit of the, of the background and how all of these groups work together and even groups we might not know about. The Wild Foundation has this amazing uh, attribute about them that we, we sort of joke, um, they're often at the center of this very, very wide and vast web. Um, and so you can pretty much travel anywhere around the world and mention the Wild Foundation or somebody within that network and uh, probably find someone who's connected to you. And so, look, we just found our one degree of separation. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um, so how it all fits together, essentially, is um, so you have the Wild Foundation and Nature Needs Half is really our vision for the future. This vision um, and idea that in order to um, create a planet that thrives, and not only thrives for nature and for wildlife and wild places, but also thrives for human species ourselves, um, we need to consider what it is that nature needs. And, and our ask, our vision, our what we're pushing for is to protect half of the world's land and oceans by 2030. Um, and what that means is, is just that that doesn't mean um, the, your, you know, your grandparents conservation, which is often fortress wilderness, you know, putting up boundaries, putting up protected areas, nobody goes in. What we like to think of more is how do communities interact with the world around them and how do they take care of and, and work with and um, live alongside wildlife. And wild places and um, and wilderness, and so so nature needs half is that vision, and like you, you subscribe to it. We subscribe to it and believe in it um, with Coalition Wild, and then um, Coalition Wild, the work that I specifically work on, really started in 2013, and 
realized that young people didn't really have a platform to tell their stories, to get connected to each other, to, to gain support for their involvement in the environmental movement. And so Coalition Wild originally started as this movement, but has really evolved into more of a, an organization that works to equip these emerging leaders. And so how do we give them um, the tools, mentorship, um, connections and networks and, and really uh, the, the backing that they need, the confidence that they need, the, the leadership skills that they need to really make changes and change in their community, but also change globally. And so Coalition Wild fits within the Wild Foundation in the sense of we're a project of the Wild Foundation, um, but we, we work exclusively with 35-year-olds and under. Um, are run completely by under 35-year-olds, my entire board, everyone's youth. So it's really a for youth by youth effort. I love that. So I told you before we uh, got started, I'm a Gen Xer, and I hang out with an awful lot of boomers in this movement. <laughs> and they're the ones who came up with that fortress building, wilderness stuff, thus far and no further. And they had a lot more to work with, you know, uh, we've lost an awful lot over. And so things have had to change, even if you, you know, wanted to do what people used to do, what we always got an earful from um, people like Dave Foreman and uh, David Brower and those guys. And they would always talk about their like core stuff, like Sand County Almanac, where they developed their land ethic and they developed all of these ideas um, thankfully for all of that work, I kind of feel like an in-betweener, but what we're trying to understand now, I think is who's the Aldo Leopold now for you guys. Yeah. Well, and I love that everything that you just brought up because, um, my first exposure, I suppose, to this work was, um, through things like Aldo Leopold and the land ethic. And, um, actually my first job in the environmental sector was for an organization called the Murray Center um, uh, on the ranch that the Murrays lived on in Grand Teton National Park. And um, if you, for those who don't know, the Murrays um, helped to write the Wilderness Act and the Alaska Lands Act and um, helped to preserve uh, the, the Ark National Wildlife Refuge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Marty was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And for her work in, in conservation and, um, and all that. So, and this was in my early twenties in you know, 2010, I think. And so, um, I, I want, I, I think often when we talk about generations and, um, these intergenerational shifts and changes, there's uh, sort of this underlying thought that maybe we're pinning one against the other, that, uh, one is better than the other, or one has left and another has come in and it's, um, they're, they're almost opposing. Where one, I personally believe that we can have both and, and, and just because things are shifting maybe away from, as I said, that fortress wilderness or those land ethics or things like that, um, doesn't mean that they aren't necessary or important or when used uh, correctly in, in the best way that they can, that they aren't uh, useful or, or, you know, successful. Um, but I, what I've been really interested in watching is also just a shift in the way that as a global society, young people or, or this movement has been evolving um, in where places it's important. 
reluctant on, uh, you know, like leadership, where before we've, we've looked to these specific heads, whether it's, uh, you know, like Aldo Leopold and John Muir and, and writers and um, quotes and, and acts and brands and logos and all these things, right? Where I think now, because uh, younger generations are so interconnected and so um, the world is so small for them, right? You you have friends on other sides of the planet that you may never meet, and um, you're working with people in groups uh, towards common visions that sometimes you don't even speak the, the same language. That I think that there's a much more holistic viewpoint of um, leadership and. Uh, how to move forward with that. And so where young people are gaining that inspiration from, yes, is, is like people, you know, like Greta, who I think is an easy person to point to. But I think that they're also gaining it from so many different sources that's difficult to pinpoint one because there's access to all of those, right? Like you, somebody listening here could probably give me plenty of names of somebody who has inspired them or um, who has helped them develop their viewpoint or idea of what biodiversity is or nature is or the need to protect it or alternatively not protect it, right? Um, and I think it's that access that has actually provided quite a big opportunity for us to think more creatively and innovatively and, and with a much wider you know, scope of understanding of how do we actually move forward in a way that um, provides a better future for the planet. That's a really good point. I love that you went there and um, and described that because that is a really good way of looking at the differences between, I mean, you had to wait till somebody's book came out or you had to wait until you could go to a conference to connect with people in in the old meaningful way, <laughs> you know, physically you had to get places and do, and we still do all of those things. And in addition is everything that you're talking about, which is this crazy connected world where you can go out and get any information you need at any time from anybody 24 seven on demand. And it does change an awful lot. I remember picking up a, a book. Uh, I think it was Greenpeace's first book on global warming in 1991 when I was in D.C. and I couldn't get a job in what I had trained for in college, so... That hasn't changed either. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is very much, I hear the same. Uh, it was hard. I walked in with a tie. I um, I cut my hair. I had beautiful, long hair. <laughs> Perfect for being a canvasser at Greenpeace, but I freaked out and thought, uh-oh, time to get a job. We still had briefcases and stuff. I had a, my dad's briefcase. I didn't know what to put in it. I didn't understand briefcases. And I had a tie, and I cut my hair off. And I went to all the interviews and got rejected from all the places, and then I went up to Greenpeace and I, with my tie and my short hair, and I was a bigger hippie than anybody there. And, of course, they thought I was the man. So I started doing that, and I saw the book, uh, the the Global Warming book. It might have been the first edition or second edition, and it was one of the first things I'd ever even – that's the first time I ever even heard about it. And then to hear any more about it, it was really just a word-of-mouth thing. People would come in and educate and everything, and now you can have webinars, and you can get you know people from all over the world together in one place, and nobody has to get on a plane. Uh, you know, Sometimes that's really good, um, but other times it's not necessary, so – it is a it is a it's a different world. It's really really cool. Is that why people feel like they can afford to 
um, really give good space for social justice alongside wilderness stuff, alongside everything else. Because, and I I know that that's a sticking point sometimes for the older generations. It's like, why are you even talking about that stuff? We just go and we get this land protected and we do this. And they don't understand sometimes it's that you guys have the bandwidth to do this now because of the easy access, I think, to all kinds of different information. And those things are connected. I, I, I don't think you're wrong there. I would argue, though, that it's not necessarily about the bandwidth, but rather a deeper understanding about how it's all connected. And part of that, I believe, comes from um, the simple aspect of having time to see how things were done in the past have affected where they are now. And again, mm-hmm. like that, that's like simply time right? You, you can't rush that. But understanding how um, setting aside land and pushing people, indigenous peoples off of it actually didn't work or, or didn't work in the way that was maybe necessarily intended to and had unintended consequences that we're seeing now. Or we're seeing that, um, you know, protecting if in the United States or anywhere really, these, these small protected areas dotted around the country that are more islands and they aren't interconnected so they don't allow for migratory paths and and, and you're actually you know, putting a highway through a major migratory area for some endangered species, whatever it is. We can see that now. We have the time to be able to look at the research and um, the science to back it up. And so I think that when we talk about human rights, we're understanding one, that land protection and human rights go hand in hand. And then as well too, when we're looking at climate change and the climate emergency and taking climate action, we're also seeing humans being affected by this. You know, we're seeing human refugees and and the effects that it's having on um, people that, that maybe don't have the resources to guard against or mitigate against or plan for climate change. And we're realizing that we can't just act for the planet. We have to act for people as well. Okay. But I still think you guys have a lot more bandwidth because <laughs> you don't sleep. As, you don't need as much sleep and you don't take naps. And st- I remember what it was like. There may be a little bit of that. I will say that um, I have come across Maybe bandwidth isn't the word that I would use, but less burnout. There isn't that, there's there's still this um, bright-eyed, hopeful, ambitious, you know, the world is my oyster viewpoint. And, and that's something I actually would wish upon all of us. And for me, I think one of the things that has staved off at burnout personally has been working with um, young people and, and I'm, I'm lucky that I get to continually work with, you know, people between the ages of 16 and 30, no matter how old I get, <laughs> but it reinvigorates me and, and reminds me how to look at the challenges we face or the problems that can't seem to be solved or um, each you know, catastrophe or, or new news story that comes out here and to look at it with a spin of not, oh, eye roll, here we go again, nothing we're doing is working, but rather, okay, how do we do this differently? How do we approach this with with fresh eyes and um, and not be tainted by sometimes the barragement of negative news and also um, what happens when 
you're working in the trenches for so long and um and you start to get burnt out and so there yeah. there's an element there that i find that i'm quite lucky uh in that aspect because i get to do that every day but also reminds me um the importance of connecting these young people to those who are veterans in the field through things like mentorship programs um not because i think it just you know young people could use mentorship but also because it goes the other way it helps to reinstill that energy and, and kind of reignite that passion people who have often been grinding away for for decades you're listening to the rewilding earth podcast did you know we also publish insightful and inspirational content from leading rewilding scholars, poets, artists, and organizers from around the world? You can visit rewilding.org and sign up for our weekly digest to receive brilliant, fresh insights on everything rewilding. You'll find over a decade of articles and news from the front lines of wildlands protection and all kinds of restoration efforts. Check us out at rewilding.org and don't forget to share it with friends. I know very well what it's like to be with folks who are very, very isolated from from that, or somewhat isolated from that mixture. Engaging with a broad spectrum of people um, and ages um, and different people on the hope scale. <laughs> and uh, let's just get this done in the energy scale and everything. I think that's extremely important. And one of the biggest reasons why I love having people like you on the show so that people who may be a little bit isolated from that can see what I'm talking about because I get exposed to it through the show and the other things that I seek out. Some others in the you know conservation movement who've been doing it for decades don't. We get inundated so much as humans by, by our problems, our to-do lists, our next things. And, and don't get me wrong, I do too. If you can't look at it with a little bit of perspective um, of one, you know, we're all sitting on the same spinning earth and we all have a limited amount of time, as morbid as that sounds, we all have a limited amount of time here. And so I personally prefer to spend my time working towards something I believe in and feeling good about it than the alternative. And that's a choice. And we all have that choice. Um, and so, you know, it, does that make, it's not that I'm not realistic. In, or that I don't recognize um, sometimes the insurmountable odds that may be in front of us on some of the, the challenges or problems or issues or whatever. It's just that I, I choose to look beyond it, you know, not look away from it, but just, okay, I see you. Now let's keep going because yeah. otherwise life doesn't seem that fun. <laughs> And there's a really big scope to it all, too. I mean, we have these insufferably short lives, 80, 90 years if you're lucky. And that might not be lucky if you're not healthy, but we they're very, very short lives. And that scope has tended, I feel, to it makes our policies the way they are. It makes it because we base it on we're not generational thinkers yet as a as you know, some parts of humanity are some tribes are. But the whole of humanity, and, and more importantly, the part of humanity that's in control of all the levers and cogs and wheels, don't think generationally, like past our lives. And so it seems like a lot of our, our wildlife policy, our outlook for everything is really just very, very short-sighted. Do you see that as well as a, 
and is do you see anything changing in the future around that? Do you guys work on stuff like that? Yeah, I I do um, see it, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I do. I would like to believe, and maybe this is the optimist in me, but I would like to believe that it's shifting, and I believe it's shifting for two reasons. One, in seeing youth today, and when I say youth, not only just under 35, but I'm talking about like the teens, you know, the Greta generation, who are actually recognizing those before us, our parents, our grandparents made decisions and they are affecting me, is an inherent understanding that they learned very early that I believe will carry to when they are parents age, 60s, 70s, days, younger, older, and will be able to look back at as they make decisions that affect the next generation, right? I don't, I would like to think that, that it doesn't just end there. That now that you have this information, you carry it with you and you, that's how you, that's how you base your decisions off of. Um, so that really excites me. I also believe that because we're seeing the effects of those decisions um, and how they're cascading in the consequences that they make, and, and the connectedness of our communities through things like social media, you can now really understand things like, hey, I may be sitting in in Los Angeles, California, but something I'm doing here, whether it's the way I vote or, or the uh, item I'm choosing to purchase or where I spend my money or what I spend, whatever it is, affects somebody and something I may never see or someone I may never meet on the other side of the world. And so understanding that that um, consequence chain, I think, is a lot more on the surface than it has been in the past. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out the site. I'm looking around. I'm seeing 78 total ambassadors implementing self-designed solutions. And 9,100 people involved in all projects being implemented by ambassadors. Talk to me about that. What am I looking at here? Yeah. Okay. So we have um, a program. We call it our ambassador program. And it's uh, totally virtual, online, 100% free. And young people under 35 just need to apply. And they need to apply with an idea that they have that they want to implement in their community. Um, and we take uh, anywhere between 30 and we'll probably go up to f about 50 for our next cohort, young people. And we bring them through this nine-month uh, kind of crash course in creating change. And over nine months, we work with them. And we provide things like webinars and, and tasks and toolkits and worksheets. Um, we, we provide them with a peer mentor. All of these things... Um, helping to lead them towards taking a the first step towards action. And, and the key to this program, though, is that uh, we do not tell the young person what project they need to implement or what cause they need to support. What it comes down to is what are you passionate about? What's a challenge facing that thing you're passionate about? And what's a solution that you can do to affect it? And, and for us, that's really important because at the end of the day, it's not about having Coalition Wilds brand on, on one of these projects in the community. It's not about what we've produced or what the person has gone out to produce for us. What we care about is really um, instilling in these young people 
the, the skills necessary, but also really the confidence they need to go out and be leaders, not just in their communities and not just for that one project, but to be leaders for a lifetime, hopefully for the planet and how that will help to inform the decisions they make and the jobs they have and the careers they have and what they, you know, how they live. And so really what we're doing at the end of the day is um, we've created this sort of leadership course and have and, and really, you know, instill in these young people over these nine months all the things necessary, everything from like how to write a uh, strategy document and do communications to answering interview questions um, to writing budgets and everything in between. We're giving them the skills and equipping them with what they need to really step up and to use their voice and to realize that they matter and what they do matters um, and that they can make a difference. That is really cool. And I'll tell you why I think so. One is that we're so often told, especially the younger we are, what we need to do and the path we need to follow. And it, and it's under the guise of advisement and maybe even mentorship, uh, but with mentorship with a, um, a nefarious side to it or something where I want you to do this thing. I need more people in my in my army of people who understand it this way, would do it this way, my way, the way I teach. And you guys aren't doing that. That's that's really quite amazing. What are some of the stories that you get out of that then? So people come in and they take the course and then they go off in the direction they choose. What kinds of stories do you have to tell about that? I mean, this is good timing. We just wrapped up um, on March 1st, our last cohort. Um, and we, we graduated 35 new ambassadors, again, all implementing projects, and they're all over the world. I think, let me think, if we had 35 ambassadors, I think we had about 32 countries. Um, and they're really ranging. Uh, for instance, we have one gentleman working down in Latin America, and he um, is creating these uh, micro-grants for women and young people to uh, create agroforestry and, and like farms in their communities. And so he's helping them go back to using the land. On the other side of the world, in Nigeria, we have a young man um, who is putting together plogging episodes, which is uh, jogging while picking up trash. And um, every week they choose a different like street or a different community and he gathers a bunch of people and they all go running around and picking up trash and uh and and it's everything in between um a young woman in the uk it has combined her love for books uh with her love for flowers and all of, uh, in these different areas in her community has set up wildflower boxes with um, beautiful quotes about nature uh written on them to encourage people to stop and think and smell the wildflowers. And, and, and so really it goes across the board. Again, it's that idea of what do you care about and how can you get involved? Um, but what, as, as much of these, you know, successful stories I can tell, what really we received back. And I was just reading this right before we jumped off, jumped on our call was that what we're providing them is a community. You know, almost everyone have said that 
they cared about the environment. They wanted to get involved. They didn't know where to start or how to start. And all of a sudden, they they joined a group of people, of 35 people they didn't know, who understood them, who understood them in a way that they didn't have to, you know, explain themselves or, or defend themselves, who, who actually faced often the same challenges that they faced, no matter where they were in the world. Um, they gained a support network of, of people that they could... Um, tell their challenges to and have somebody cheerlead alongside of them and say, Hey, I, I feel the same way. Keep going. The, one of the, the sentences was, I just feel like I have a voice and people are listening for us. That's one of the, uh, the greatest outcomes that we could have ever asked for. Right. Is that you're, you're in, like the, all these young people we work with, they have everything that they need. They have the passion, they have the ambition, they have the vision, they care, right? You can't teach somebody how to care. And um, we're just giving them a space where not only is that okay, but it's celebrated. You've created room for beautiful acts in a, in a deep ecology sense. Like, the woman you talk about that's making the wildflower boxes. If somebody went to a more traditional, because um, these things have happened in similar kinds of ways throughout history, and people were tra getting trained for a very narrow set of jobs within the conservation community. And it was like a college that only offered so many things and it was very purpose-based. We need more people here in fundraising. We need people to lobby in DC. We need people to run organizations. And so it was a very narrow field of things. And for you to open it up to letting people do it, fill it, it broadens out into things like those wildflower boxes mm -hmm. and the micro funding and, and, and what that, says to me is that the solutions to the really, really big problems are hidden somewhere in that open area of creativity and allowance. Because if we continued to just go down this road, we just need, we need more fundraisers. We need more funding. We need more lobbying. We need the narrow things that most people think about in the professional conservation movement. Well, we're going to certainly only get what we've gotten if we're not changing anything. Right. Yeah. Well, and I um, personally sort of think and have, have also built Coalition Wild around this, this idea of, in my opinion, what the world doesn't need is more conservationists. What we need are more teachers or bankers or parents or whatever, caring, living their lives in a way that exemplifies how um, a, a, you know, a thoughtful and reciprocal relationship with nature. And the only way that we do that is by giving people the space and the permission to act out their passions and the things that they care, you know, or and support the things that they care about in their everyday lives, whether that is in their work and their career or outside of it. And whether that is in a typical way, like you mentioned, or an atypical way. And if we really want to see huge global shifts and decisions being changed and made, um, we need to hit at the heart of where people make decisions. That's, and that's where that's in their soul. And the way that you do that is you tap into their passion and you can't tell somebody what to be passionate about. 
Well, and then when you weave all of these folks back into the fabric of society, as if they were taken out of it at any time, but I mean, when they go and do their thing, um, certainly the woman's not going to be making those flower boxes forever. Everybody evolves and does different things. And this is just a context and a point in time uh, for everybody. Um, but just to get everybody back out into the uh, the world and 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 watch how that all goes. You've you've been able to do this for a while. How long has this program been going? Um, so Coalition Wild's been uh, started in 2013. Our ambassador program has been. Let's see, this is our third cohort. So we just wrapped okay. up our third year. Now you're just this big lightning rod for all the stories that come back. How do you keep track of every? <laughs> do you even try to keep track of everything, or or how does that even work? Um, yes, I, I try. Um, and sometimes I do better than others, but I don't know if it's me not, or I don't know if it's the stories. I, I think mostly that oh, for me, like over working with people over nine months, you get to know them, especially the ones who are really engaged and um, really committed and, and genuinely it sticks with me. I bet I could tell you um, the stories and the evolution and the progress of 90 to 100 percent of everyone we've worked with um and it's because of you know when you mentioned earlier that idea of hope it, it runs so much deeper than hope because hope seems like almost a flippant um naive emotion it, it these young people represent opportunity to me you know they represent progress they represent you know somebody stepping up and saying like self-selecting, saying, I want to be involved. I want to do something. And not just I want to, but I can. Now, can you help me do this? And you don't, for me, you don't forget somebody who puts out their hand and says, I'm ready, pick me. Is this the kind of work that you see being really instrumental in, in specific goals like nature needs half? I think it's a, actually a perfect indication of how we do this. Right. Like, again, going back to this idea of when um, if you come in, whether coming into a community that you don't know or people you don't know, and you try to tell them how that they should be working um, and in what ways and why, it's going to fall flat. And, and the amount of um, engagement and commitment you receive is going to be waning. And so so how do you gather a bunch of um, acquaintances from around the world, all with different experiences and histories and backgrounds and understandings, and get them to move towards a common vision? You instill in them the permission to think on their own, to um, create their own ideas and, and to build a community around that. And so Coalition Wild is doing that as a instilling in them the skills to do so. Um, but I think that what we're also doing is developing this community of support and of looking in that community support, um, giving the freedom to try new things and to be innovative and creative. And as you said, you know, uncover some of these unlikely solutions that maybe wouldn't have been uncovered if you gave somebody, you know, a task at hand or what to do. And so when we think about the larger nature needs half vision, um, we need to think about it as this is a vision, but how we get to the vision is up to you. And, um, and how it gets carried out is going to look different person to person, community to community, region to region. And that's okay. 
and that's actually what we want um, because that's the only way it's going to be effective. And so through something like the Ambassador Program or Coalition Wild, I think we're we're showing on at the moment small scales how this not only could work but is working. Um, and with this bigger vision over the next year or two or three um, to develop more of these programs and, and workshops and not just for youth, but for anyone across the board for these communities um, and to help them really recognize their own potential and, and to step into that space. Krista, thank you so much for being on Rewilding Earth today. You are awesome. Thank you for all the work that you do and keep going. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting these conversations. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. We do what we do because of you. This podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world. Please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there. To go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. To listen to past episodes, go to rewilding.org pod. That's rewilding.org pod.